This gospel is powerful. This gospel is wonderful. This gospel can change your life. It can change your world. It can just reconfigure everything you know. What we were singing this morning, if we get it, if we live it, everything changes. Everything changes. I want to just spend a bit of time with you this morning talking about the power of no condemnation. You guys know that we were in Israel uh, a couple of weeks back. And uh, I shared a story last week, and I'll just recap it because it's kind of a, a forerunner uh, for what I want to say briefly this morning. And we were on the uh, Mount of Beatitudes. You heard this story last week. If you didn't hear it, uh, you'll get the full version, come and ask me. Uh, but basically, we're at the top of Mount of Beatitudes, and, and a debate kicks off in the team. Can you lose your salvation or not? And so some people put their hands up, some people don't. Um, and I just get wound up and put my two pence worth in and jump up and start preaching to Christians, which is funny to do when it comes to salvation. Um, anyway, it got a bit tense. Phil broke the tension by rolling down the hill. Um, it's funny, I just found out last week that Esther Jones thought he really had a heart attack. So I'm glad that he didn't. <laughs> he was okay. Um, and listen, I'm not all about just you know, I'm about sharing what I believe. And if people don't want to believe that, that's fine. We want to just share the good news. We want to share the truth. Um, but what I saw around that from some of these people on the team, it, it saddened me. It saddened me. I, we know that one person on the team, he prayed, Lord, I pray I don't lose my salvation. And I heard someone else say, you know what, God, I don't want to have a reprobate heart. I don't want to turn away from you. I heard someone else say that, uh, God, please don't take your spirit from me. And I heard someone else say uh, that we've got to live right and perfect before we can partner with God in the gospel. And you need to know that I'm, I'm not against these people. They're, they're wonderful people. They're Christians. They love the Lord. They're, they're seeking him. They're pressing in. They're going after him. But there seems to be something of a, a powerlessness in what was said, and maybe a bit of guilt and, and a fear that somehow you're not just hitting the mark, you know, you're not just hitting the target of where you should be in your Christian life. And, and for me, that, that takes you down a road to condemnation. I, I don't know if you've been there yourself, if you've ever felt condemned. I mean, I've felt condemned. I felt that sometimes I've just not hit the mark, and a condemnation can come with that. I, I don't know about you guys. Have you ever felt condemned. There's a lot of religion out in Israel and um, you go to the places, you go to the churches and there's a lot of uh, traditional strict orthodox churches and you can go into these places and they're quite dark and they're quite oppressive and the people are not that nice, <laughs> if I'm honest. There can just be a sense of condemnation that comes with religion. Have you been condemned? Are you condemn now. There's stuff in life that's going to come that can try and condemn you. I want to confront something of this living in the power of no condemnation. Talk about that for just a while. And, and I will say to you that in my opinion, the people that are likely to come up against condemnation most are those that are going hardest after God. See, if you're careless, you care less. You don't care less about what happens in your Christian life. But if you're careful, it means you're full of care. 
about what you're doing in your Christian life, about you're seeking after God, if you're pursuing him, if you want everything that God has to offer, then you've set the mark high and you want to go for that. And so if you're in that place, it's a possibility condemnation can come. So I want to deal with that for you guys especially. Um, If you've got your Bibles, come with me to John chapter 8. Let's see how we go. Be prepared. John chapter 8. Um, we're going to just camp in this one passage from verses 1 to 11. Um, it, it's just, this is our meat today, so we're going to tuck into this one passage. And it's about the woman who was uh, caught in adultery. So let's just read from John, John 8 verses 1 to 11. Let's see what it says. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in in the dust with his finger, They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. And and there's some truths in there I want to glean from this that uh, talk about condemnation, how we identify it, how it comes to us, how we deal with it, and then how we walk in the power of no condemnation. Um, I'll say to you, this is not a sermon about what Jesus wrote in the dust. Um, We don't know. Uh, some people say he was doodling to collect his thoughts. I don't know if Jesus ever had to collect his thoughts. I'm not sure about that. Um, some say he wrote the name of the prostitute. Some say he wrote the name of the accusers. Um, I'll tell you when we get to heaven, okay, exactly what he wrote in the sand. So I'm not too sure. Let's start out. What, what is condemnation? What does it actually mean? Um, I checked the Strong's Concordance. There's always a good, reliable source to go to. And it gave a couple of definitions for the meaning of condemnation. It says that it's punishment following condemnation, and it's also penal servitude. It's an expectation of punishment when found guilty, and penal servitude means imprisonment with hard labour. One of them is what you're expecting to come to you, punishment, and one of them is what you do to try and make things right. That's what the meaning of condemnation means. Where does condemnation come from? How does condemnation come about? It, you don't just start with being condemned. Actually, condemnation is the, the end of a process. It starts with something else. You get the answer in this passage in verses 4 to 6. 
It says, teacher, sorry, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And it says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. See, if you're able to accuse, you're able to sentence, and you're able to condemn. All condemnation starts with accusation. That's how it comes about. You see it again in verse 10. Jesus uh, stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? You move from accusation to condemnation. If you take somebody to court, you have the accused and you put them out of the front. And if the accused are found guilty, they're sentenced, they're condemned to a penalty. In this passage, you can see four areas where the woman caught in adultery experiences accusation that led to condemnation. And I'm going to suggest to you as Christians, these are the same four areas we can experience accusation that can lead to condemnation. The first one is sin. It says she was caught in the act of adultery. She was caught in sin. And because she was caught in sin, she was accused because of her sin. Have you ever sinned and felt condemned? See, if someone catches you in sin, that's, that's never good. I mean, you probably had it even with work colleagues, and when you do something wrong, you say, I thought you was a Christian. They caught you in sin, and you might feel, oh man, that's terrible. That's bad for me. And the other one is when your conscience tells you that you've sinned. We've just been to Israel, and on the way out, we had to go through security, and, and it's like you're in interrogation when you come through Israeli security. And Paul Song, we was on the coach, and, and the guy who organised the trip with Paul Song for the hotels said, when you come out of Israel, don't tell him you stayed in Bethlehem, because it's in Palestine, it's in the West Bank, and if you tell them that, you're going to be in a lot of trouble, and they're going to keep you there for ages. So he said, just say, when you go there, tell him you stayed in Galilee, and everything will be fine, they'll just let you go. So Paul gets on the mic and says, this is what we've been told, when we get to uh, security, just tell uh, the authorities that we just stayed in Galilee and, and move on. So we get, to, we get to security and he pulls out Paul, Eva and me. And he moves me over to one side. And he says, so where did you stay? And I said, oh, Eden Hotel in Galilee. He said, where else did you stay? I went, oh, I wasn't expecting this question. So I said, oh, we stayed at Eden Hotel in Galilee. And so he asked me a load of questions, where did we go? And then it, he was asking Eva a load of questions, he was asking Paul a load of questions, and he came back to me. And he says, so what was the other place you stayed? Now I'm thinking one of them have told the truth. <laughs> and I'm thinking, if I lie here, I'm going to be in big trouble. So I said, oh, we stayed around Jerusalem. I didn't say Bethlehem because that would have caused problems. And he said, what was the name of the place? And I made up a name of a place. Can you believe this? This was two weeks ago. I, I lied so bad. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> and so I, I made this place up. And he says, so you stayed in two places. And they go off and into this big huddle. And they're conferring because of our stories are not matching up now. And I felt like I was going to pass out. Like, I was just sweating. I felt I was going to faint. I mean, I'm such a terrible liar. And I think what happened was, because I thought the next thing that was going to happen is they're going to ship us off to a room, you know, and I don't know, whatever they would do with us. Um, And I I just come to the conclusion, they must have felt we were such bad liars. 
They're just like, oh, just let these lot go. They don't have a clue. You know, we, apparently we spent nine days together, but some of us spent time in two hotels, some of us in one hotel. But my conscience accused me of sin. See, I accused myself of sin, and I, I'll never lie again at Israel. I'm, I'm probably never allowed into Israel again, if I'm honest. But you know, there are sins of commission and omission. Not just things you shouldn't have done, things you should have done but didn't. And that can, that can make you feel accused. Have you ever sinned and felt accused? That can lead to condemnation. She was caught in sin and she was caught by the law. She was caught by the teachers of religious law. Do you know it says they caught her in the act of adultery? Do you know the Mosaic, sorry, Mosaic law, law of Moses? The point of it isn't to release you. The point is to catch you out. The point is to always look at you and see when you're doing wrong and say, oh, I've got you right there. You know why police catch criminals? Because they're looking for them. In the same way, the law of Moses is looking to show you not that you're great, but to show you that you're a sinner. That's why Paul says, I, I see the law and I see it's good, but it just stirs up all this stuff in me and leads me to sin. Do you put yourself under the Mosaic law? I believe that sometimes we can think that we've got to do everything that God wants us to do and everything he says. And, you know, I've got to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my strength, all my mind, all my soul. I've got to love, a, love my neighbour as myself constantly, 24-7, 365 days a year. Have you tried it? See, even if you... <laughs> I see some faces... The law is called the ministry of condemnation because you cannot keep it. And if you try to keep it, be sure you will come across accusation. And if you come across accusation, it's going to lead to condemnation. You can feel accused by the law. Third thing that I would say in this passage is not mentioned, but I would say this woman's heart condemned her. See, the law has condemned her. Sin has condemned her. And in herself, she's probably thinking, I'm awful. I'm a worm. I'm, I'm just terrible. And she's there and her heart is condemning her. Do you condemn yourselves? Do you use the term, I am worthless, rather than I did something stupid? There's a big difference. You might say, I'm not doing well enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not bold enough. I'm not free enough in worship. If we accuse ourselves, that leads to self-condemnation. That's another area where we can experience accusation that leads to condemnation. And last and most definitely least, um, I need to mention the devil. See, you don't see him here, but he is here. Do you know why? Because it's his nature to accuse his name means the accuser. So wherever there's accusation, you can be sure that the enemy is around. We don't like to make a big play on the enemy. He's, he's been defeated. You know, that's why in Genesis he crawls around on his belly because he's got no feet. He's been defeated. Oh. Do you get that? <laughs> Sorry, I had to lighten things up there. You guys are too quiet at the moment. I'm... That one was for free. You, can, I, you, you may be laughing and saying, oh, but I know you're going to use it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, man. 
it's like every time now I've got this, these terrible jokes. But, <laughs> he accuses the brethren day and night, right? That's what he does. And he can accuse you with thoughts. It could be for sin, that you, did, you should have done something and you didn't do something. And it could be that you're worthless. It could just pile loads of thoughts on you. But do you know the other reason he accuses you? He accuses you just because you have association with Jesus. Do you know why this woman was accused? So that they could catch Jesus out. That's the only reason they brought this woman out in front of Jesus, so they could try and accuse Jesus. You are accused by association with Jesus. Because you're a Christian, accusation will come. I remember being at school and I was a little bit of a troublemaker. Never done anything terribly bad, but I would always just mess around just a bit. And I, I sat at the back of this science class with my friend, and the teacher would always just tell me off. And if anyone was sitting near me, so this guy I had next to me, he was really tall. And if you remember the science classes, did you have the tall benches and the, and the big like, stools you sit on? Okay, so we're sitting on these stools. And because of this guy, that, my friend, he was so tall, it looked like he was standing up. And so the teacher said, the teacher said like she told me off, and she said to him, sit down. <laughs> And he said, I am sitting down, Mish. And she said, don't answer me back. Get out of the class. And he had to get out of the class. He did nothing wrong. But it... he was accused by association. Because if he was sitting next to me, it was just assumed that he was in the wrong. One of the best things that ever happened at school. <laughs> you're accused because of you're a Christian. And you know that, if you notice in this passage, it says um, they bring the woman in front of the crowd. But later on, it says that Jesus and the woman are in the middle of the crowd. See, do you know what the enemy does? He can whip up a crowd to come around and start saying things as well, to accuse. We were on the EasyJet flight. When we went out, you heard about the Bolivian story last week. And anyway, two of the Indian team, the couple that were getting married, were sitting at the front. And because one of the guys got up and was seeing what was going on, someone on the plane said it was their fault what was happening. And so they said, to, they said to them, oh, you're happy now? And someone else said, it's their fault. And they think, oh, I'm glad to see you're enjoying yourselves. Someone else, it was like all of a sudden, there was all this accusation coming to them. They did nothing. But the nature of the accuser is to accuse. And so you're going to see it, maybe, in crowds. So you have accusation for sin, accusation from the law, accusation of the heart, accusation from the enemy, all of these things can lead to condemnation. And these four can lead to what we might think would be a fifth. See this woman standing now in front of Jesus. All around her she's got the religious law accusing her, Stones in the hand for her sin, accusing her. Her own heart, accusing her. A crowd that's now around her, probably saying, she's done something, she's, she's going to die, she's in for the death penalty, accusing her. And all in the presence of Jesus. See, if you are in the presence of Jesus and you feel accused by all these things, you can think, well, this must be coming from him as well. All of this accusation in front of Jesus. 
if you have accusation and you come to Jesus, perfect, sinless, holy, and you've got your stuff all around you all of the time, you can think this is not the best place to be. Jesus dealt with the accusers. He says, who's never sinned, throw the first stone and they move away. And you might think that that was an opportunity for relief for this woman. But I don't think it was. In verse 9 it says, the crowd stuck around. They, they were around. Do you know why a crowd sticks around? Because they think there's going to be some action. That's the only way, you know, if you're at school and there was a fight, you go, fight, 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 and you'd all get around. And the moment it was all over, oh, dissipate, and everybody walks off. But the reason the crowd stuck around is they thought, actually, these, these religious leaders may not have been able to stone her, but she's standing in front of a man who is definitely able to stone her because he has never sinned. He's always true. He's always right. He's the only one who could condemn this woman. just say a couple of things about how we respond if we feel like God is condemning us. That first meaning was punishment following condemnation. There was only one person who could throw the stone. And if we've got it wrong, even if we are guilty, we might feel like Jesus is going to throw a stone at us. Why? Because he can. He's the only one who can. Paul Song, um, who you probably know by default now, um, he told this story about how his brother came over from Korea to kill him. Paul was a, a Buddhist, he grew up a Buddhist, and when he became a Christian, his brother got angry about it, and his brother phoned him once, and Paul said to him on the phone, I think you're going to make a wonderful missionary. And he said, I'm going to kill you. And he literally put the phone down, got on a plane to come and find Paul in, in New Malden. And he came over and um, he found him and he met him on his way home. And they were on this dark street. And his brother came to him with a, like a kitchen knife. And he says, I'm going to kill you. And so Paul said, before you kill me, can I pray? <laughs> and so he closed his eyes. And he said, when he closed his eyes, he said, I, I had the strangest vision. I, I had the vision of my head on, next to my body on the floor being cut off. He said, so he was praying, he was like, God, have mercy on my brother and save him. And, you know, I know that you love him. I know that I'm going to be with you. And all we hear is, is this, like, ah! And his brother cut his own finger off. And it was like he was saying, I've killed you a thousand times. He cut his own finger off and left Paul. Now that guy's a missionary, by the way, just he's a pastor of a church. But Paul, see, this guy gave him the, uh, the death sentence. He condemned him to die. And he thought that what was next was the punishment to follow but it never came. He punished himself. You know, in the same way, Jesus has done the same thing. See, rather than you are condemned to die, you stand in front of him, you're punished to the death sentence, but rather than give it to you, God took it all upon himself. There is no condemnation. Another way we can uh, respond to condemnation is to respond with imprisonment, with hard labour. That's penal servitude. And what that means is we try really hard to make it all up to God. We, we hammer ourselves and we try and make it up to God in our own strength. Have you ever tried that? That's not much fun. It's hard work. It's, 
you can't ever do it. It's, it's, he's too hard to please like that, and he's, he's too holy. So if you try, you fail miserably. You know, Martin Luther, he would try and make things up to God when he sinned, and he would throw himself outside when it was in, in the winter in the snow. And so he would lay outside in the snow, trying to beat himself to such a point that God would say, I, I accept you now. And his, these other monks would drag him in in the morning, and his body would just be like near death. Condemnation, it. You know, in, in the States, if you condemn a building, do you know what you're saying it is? It's, it's no longer fit for use or for occupancy. And if you've ever felt condemned, you might feel that I'm no longer fit for use or for occupancy. Jesus, you can't live in me, and, and Jesus, you can't use me for your kingdom. Let me tell you what Jesus does with this condemnation. Face to face with Jesus, the only one who can throw a stone. And Jesus asks the question, where are your accusers? Do none of them condemn you? His words are wonderful, releasing, powerful. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He makes a declaration to her. He gives her a solid position. He says, I do not condemn you. What is he saying to her? He says, your sin has been accused before me. The law has accused you before me. The devil has accused you before me. Your own heart has accused you before me. But I am not going to inflict punishment on you and I'm not going to ask you to make this up to me. I do not condemn you. All the accusers are gone. Romans 8.1, it says it, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God will never condemn you. Ever. Ever condemn you. And I told you that condemnation was rooted in accusation. And do you know in the end of Romans 8, it says, who will accuse us? Well, God. No. Who will condemn us? Well, Christ. No, he died for you. See, if condemnation starts with accusation, not even accusation is coming to you from the Father. You might say, well, won't people do what they want to do? If you hear this message and get it, it's liberating, not licentious. You might say, I should be punished for my sin. You may feel condemned because you've got it wrong. Maybe you feel you should be punished or have to make it up. But you know, punishment and self-criticism never changed a person. Condemnation can never change you. You never grow in guilt. You only grow in grace. I saw this man on trial for murder, and he, he was a mass murderer. And what happened when he was on, on the stand was all these parents um, were able to come. He killed loads of children. And all these parents were able to come and to sp speak to this man and just tell him what they thought. And so one after one cut up and said, you're horrible, you're an evil man, you're, you just deserve to die. And it was like, and this man's face, it never changed. He just, stood, he just sat there and it was like motionless. And then this one old guy gets up and goes to this man on the stand and he says, I forgive you. Do you know in that very moment, this man started breaking down in tears. And I thought, of course, there's consequences for what he did. 
but the guilt and the punishment doesn't change you. Forgiveness and grace and mercy changes you. No condemnation changes your life. This woman was guilty. Do you see how he deals with her separate to her actions? He never once condoned her lifestyle, but in condoning her, he empowered her to change her lifestyle. It's a big difference. No condemnation. It leads to go and sin no more. It's what empowers you to live right. It's what empowers you to chase God. He starts with a declaration and it ends with an invitation. Go and sin no more. The promise is to affect the performance. You know, if you take the latter without the former, if you take go and sin no more without I don't condemn you, you have a commandment. And the commandment will lead to condemnation. But if you see it as I don't condemn you, go and sin no more, you've got an empowerment. And there's a massive difference between empowerment and commandment. Empowerment releases you, commandment controls you. How do you think this woman left Jesus? Was she moping or was she marvelling? With the desire to sin or the desire to submit? The desire to go backwards or to go on into the kingdom? If you want to live a life full of the kingdom, full of joy, full of his presence, the only way to do it is in the power of neither do I condemn you. God bless you guys.